And so we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and John chapter 1. So I encourage you to open to John chapter 1. That will be the bulk of your reading. Um, and when you found your place, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. We'll be reading Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then uh, the first 18 verses of the uh, Gospel of John. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. From Luke, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them unto us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that ye may have certainty concerning these things you have been taught. Then from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And from verse 9, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And verse 16, For from his fullness we all have received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one had ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The reading of the word. You may be seated. We're coming up to what I consider my favorite time of year. In just a few weeks, we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving and getting together with families and having those those wonderful feasts. And as that soon will give away to Christmas, that that time where we once again gather and have another feast and exchange presents. It's it truly is a, a time that is special. And I know growing up here in Illinois, we kind of always imagine Christmas having snow, and it's always weird, you know, going to other other parts of the country or the world and and seeing Christmas without the snowflakes and and all the traditions that we've we've kind of grown up grown up with around that. But uh, as we we look today, you know, the reason that we really give thanks is because what God has given us. If we've studied it before. The reason Abraham Lincoln instituted a day of thanksgiving was he wanted for us to stop in the midst of the Civil War and give thanks to God for the tremendous increase in blessings the country had received. If he could see fit to give increase and and to to want to bless God and give God thanks in the midst of the worst war this country has ever seen, I think you and I, regardless of what we're going through, can stop and give God thanks this Thanksgiving. We should do it each and every day, not just on that one day. But that day is a day where we, we separate as a nation to, to honor God in that way. And, and we, should, we should always strive to do that. And of course, with Christmas, it is the time where we honor the fact that God has given us His own Son. And we exchange gifts to each other as a reminder of that. And so when those holidays approach, I, I hope that you can find that, that time and leave the busyness of the shopping and the stores and have that time to focus on God. That's what we should do. And so as I've said, we're going to be diving into the Gospels here. And each Gospel is kind of a, they're all the Word of God, but they're written from a little bit different point of view. 
Um, they're, they're all biographies, if you will, of the life of Jesus as seen through those authors. We have um, Matthew, Matthew which, which portrays Jesus as the king of all kings. We have Mark, who shows us that Jesus is a servant. He, he has come to serve. And we, we, have, we have Luke, who shows us that Jesus is the Messiah, not just of the Jews, but of all people. And then we have John, who wants to show us that Jesus is the divine Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And so we're going to get those different perspectives coming out at different times. And I'll, I'll point out when, when we come across those verses. But I want you to think of it like this, because some people struggle, like, why are the, some of the Gospels seem different, or they record different events? You know, I remind you what John says at the end of his Gospel, that he said, I were to suppose that if everything that Jesus had been done were written down in a book, the world would not be able to contain those books. That's a lot of books. And I want you to think about it. If I were to ask people here to write about my life, if I were to ask my wife to write a, uh, write a book about me, what you would read in that book is you would find a very intimate uh, knowledge of who I am, who I am as a husband, a father, a best friend. Then if I were to go on and have my daughter write a book, and she would tell you what it's like to have me as a father and, and that intimate, close, personal relationship. If I were to have Darren write a book about me, you know, as one of the leaders of the church, it might be a little different. Definitely more comical. It'd be a picture book, have Darren write it. <laughs> and then if I were to ask you to write a book about me as your pastor, all four of these books would be accurate in who I am, but not one of them alone can give you the detail of completely who I am. And so when we look at the Gospels, understand that's why we have these four different accounts, so that we're seeing Jesus from all angles of the people who knew him best. You look at Matthew, he is the tax collector, that disciple that we read about. We, we can look at Mark, it's, I, I often will call Mark, this is Peter's gospel. Mark was a close companion and, and would have had first-hand accounts from Peter. And his, his gospel kind of matches Peter's personality, short and blunt and to the point. And we, we can look at Luke. Luke has the position of a medical physician. He, he goes around and he, he tells his friend Theophilus, I've, I've done this so you can have a good account and have, have hope in what you have been taught, that it is genuine and real. He, oftentimes you, you'll go and, uh, to a doctor and the doctor will say, how, you know, what's going on? Why are you here? How are you feeling? And you'll still say some general things, how you're feeling, but then they'll ask you follow-up question after follow-up question because they're trying to get the details they need to make a diagnosis. And so we see that with Luke. And with John, who is called... The, the disciple whom Jesus loved, we, we see someone who, who has a very intimate connection with Jesus, who is part of what is known as his inner circle. So we have all these different aspects playing in, and so I, I hope you, you'll come to appreciate that and see that the, there are not differences in the Gospels. There are actually four accounts that are telling the, the whole story together. At times, there's going to be passages that parallel each other, and we'll have both up on the board. Like when we go through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew and Luke both record the details, and, and um, some will focus on um, one detail while the other will focus on another. And so as we begin, I want us to, to see from uh, Mark's gospel that he, he sets out right away. He tells us why he is writing his gospel. This gospel is about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He, he points it out right away. And, and if you understand Peter's mindset at all, he, Peter is the one who first identifies Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. And so you have Mark right away saying, 
This gospel is about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. What does Messiah mean? It is a Savior. Mark is telling us, there is a Savior. You need Him. And that is what we're going to look at when we dive into it. And we have Luke who sets, and I want you to think about his friend Theophilus, and insert your name there. I have set out so that you may have assurance of what you have been taught, O Theophilus, O Mike, O Anita, O Tom. You know, wherever your name may be, understand that, that Luke has set this out, not just for Theophilus, but for all of us, for all time, that we may have full assurance. And then we really get into it when we, we look at the Gospel of John. He, John is drawing uh, parallels. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Where else have you heard in the beginning? Genesis 1.1. John knows this. He is a Jewish man. He, he understands clearly what he is doing here. In the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It, it, John is talking about the, the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. And that Word has now come down and is dwelling among us, has become flesh. I want to read a few verses out of the, the account in Genesis 1. And it said, And God said, Let there be light. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation. Let, and God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. You see, all the creative acts by God are done by speaking. And what John is telling us here is that action of speaking, that is Jesus Christ. He says here that nothing has been created apart from Jesus Christ. He is saying that Jesus Christ is the one who was before the beginning. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around something having no beginning. You know, we all have a beginning. We all will have a birth. A, a day of birth, which we celebrate here every week, and we sing songs, happy birthday, and it's wonderful. And then we're all going to have that, that line on our tombstone, and then the, that date of death. It comes for us all. We all have a beginning, we'll all have an end. Of course, those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it's not really the end. It's, it's the end of the physical, fleshly sin. It is not the end of you. But John is telling us, this Jesus, he is not merely a man, but he is the divine Son of God, the one who is from the beginning. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega, as we read in Revelation. So understand what, would, what John wants us so desperately to understand here is that this Jesus who has now become in the flesh, who has been born of a woman, is the same God who, who said, let us make man in our image is the same one who spoke the world into existence. This Jesus is that word that was spoken. And that is what John wants, wants us to get very clearly. And, and we could go through the Old Testament and look, there have been many times, and I want you to understand, from the very beginning, we, we read in Revelation that says, before the foundations of the earth, the Lamb was slain. The cross was in the picture before creation. Jesus knew that He was going to have to come to save us. He was going to have to die on the cross. And He loved us so much that even before He created us, He was willing to die for us. We can look in the Old Testament and we, we see Christ walking in the garden with Adam and Eve before the fall. We, we see Christ when, when, when He appears as Melchizedek before Abraham. When He makes a covenant with Abraham, we see Him walking in the midst of the animals. 
We, we, we see him appear on Mount Moriah to Abraham when he's about to sacrifice his son Isaac. We see him wrestling with Jacob and giving Jacob a new name, Israel. Literally means the one whom wrestles with God. How'd you like that nickname? We see him inhabiting the burning bush as he's speaking with Moses. We see him with uh, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It says that there was a fourth one who had the appearance of the Son of Man. We see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. And the message he is giving his people is, I am there with you. I will go through that fiery furnace with you. Abraham, I will be faithful to you. You even that you're going to be a hundred years old, you are going to have a son. And your descendants will be so numerous that you cannot number them. They will be like the stars in heaven or the sands of the sea. You know, science tries to count, but every year they find more and more stars. It is beyond innumerable. innumerable. We see with Gideon, he is a timid man, but he's a warrior. He's about to go and, and fight the Midianites. The problem is that there were so many Midianites, it was almost impossible to count how many Gideon was going to get up against. And what happens? Christ comes down and he, he appears before them. And he sends his angel out to defeat his enemies. 185,000 were defeated before Gideon rose his sword up in the morning. God has told us, I will be there with you. I am there with you now. He told, he told those in the Old Testament, I am coming to save you. I am your Savior. I am the Messiah, the Son of God. He told David, the Lord says to your Lord, if you're looking the, the Hebrew, what it says is, Yahweh, Jehovah, says to Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. It is the Father speaking to the Son, the one who will be a descendant of David. Wrap your mind around that. That God himself is going to be a descendant of King David. The David who is, who is regarded still to this day as the greatest king ever to live will be surpassed by his own descendant, the king of all kings. Jesus has been telling the people of the Old Testament, the Jewish people, I am coming and I will save you. I will redeem you. And he tells us now, I have come. I have offered you salvation on that cross. Trust in me and you will be saved. And as we've discussed thoroughly here, he is telling us now, I am coming again. I tell you, do not fear ISIS or, or any other bad news you see on the TV. God is in control. God is coming again. Everything is going to be made right. Justice will be done by a loving God. Praise God for the grace that he gives all of us. <coughs> Jesus is, in fact, that, that word that, that is God. He is the true light. And he's come to give light to everyone. He told us he was coming into the world and, and he now has come. But this is the very sad reality we have. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory as, as of the only side, full of grace and truth. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the reality of Jesus. He is God himself, and he has come, and he, and he revealed himself to his people, and his people rejected him. I am sure there are times in your life where you can look and, and see that, you know what, your loved ones, they have rejected you. They have despised you. And I'm here telling you, 
Do not be surprised at this. Jesus said this would happen, that you are no longer of the world, that the world will hate you and reject you. It has rejected him, his own people, the people who study the scriptures, the Pharisees and Sadducees. It was, they had one job. They had one job that they were preparing their whole life to do. And what was that one job? Is to show the people who the Messiah was. And they realized who the Messiah was and they didn't want to show the people because they didn't want to lose their, their own power. They, they did not like the idea that, that the Messiah was not this conquering king like David, but that he was a lowly servant who came to die for their sins. We all, we all like the, the, the macho, prideful warriors that, that, that we, we see in the world. But what about the man who comes and says, I'm going to lay down my life for my brothers and sisters. It's a, it's a little harder sell for the Pharisees. And, and so they, they rejected him and they encouraged the people to reject them. But not all is lost. There were some who believed. And even now, if we were to take this community and gather everyone up, the majority of people would willingly and mockingly reject Jesus Christ. But we have people here, a, a remnant that has believed, and, and you are told right here, right away in the Gospel of John, you have the right to become a son or daughter of the Most High God by believing in Jesus Christ. So John lays out that in the beginning, God spoke the world into existence. And that word that he spoke has now come down to us. That is Jesus Christ. He's the one that we are to look to and, and to have hope in. And so I want you to think about in life. You know, well, maybe you're going through some family struggles and, and your family is despising you and rejecting you. Or you're having those co-workers at work who, who are just nasty to you, do not allow you to share your faith. Under, understand that, that God is there with you. Like he was with the three in the fiery furnace. Like he appeared to, to Daniel in the lion's den. When we have all these moments, understand that, that God is there with you. He has not left you alone, not for a moment. He is right there alongside you. So whatever you're going through, know that, that Jesus is there. You can call out to him and he will, he will endure with you. He, he never said we're not going to go through hard moments in life. You're going to go through some very seriously hard moments in life. And it's going to be hard and you're going to be weeping and you're going to be crying out to God to help you. And when you do that, he will help you. Because God loves you. That's what he's been telling you from the very beginning. God has loved you and he always will love you. And if we're honest with ourselves, you know, we have a hard time seeing Christ as this, this outcast, the one who loves us so much, the one who has created everything. He has been rejected. He was spit upon. He was slapped. He was mocked. He was crucified. I've told you before, but I cannot ever express fully how horrific crucifixion is. It is meant to mock and shame the person being crucified. You were stripped naked. I know our, our paintings and stuff like to kind of romanticize the cross and show Jesus as this handsome man upon a cross. But the reality is his clothes were stripped. He was naked and he was beaten so bad. What, what does the prophecy in Psalm say in Psalm 22? He was despised. He was looked upon as a worm and not a man. He was unrecognizable as human upon the cross. Understand the love of God for you. That he would send his son not just any human, but God himself would come down to die for you so that you may be with him forever. 
that you too may become a son or daughter of the Most High God. So what, I don't know, I know many of you what you're going through, but for many of you, I don't know what you're going through. But I know that God knows what you're going through. He has seen it and He has gone through it before you ever have. When you want to talk about being alone, Christ was alone. His best friends, the disciples, they all deserted Him. And that night, that dark night in the garden, they deserted Him. Now, when we look back at the Garden of Eden, we, we think of Christ having to, to cast out Adam and Eve. And some people view this as unloving. But if you read the Scriptures, what does it say? Because also in that garden was the tree of life. That if they would have partaken of that tree, they would have right then and there inherited eternal life in their sinful state. It was out of love that God cast Adam and Eve out. And it's out of love that in the Garden of Gethsemane he endures the pain of having his friends leave him, desert him. Having one of his very best friends in life, Peter, the one who calls him Christ, the Son of the living God, is the one who denied him three times. And he knew what was going to happen. There's nothing that has happened in this world that ever has surprised Jesus. He told Peter before it was happened, by the end of this night, you're going to deny me three times before that rooster crows. And Peter denies him three times. We see it. We see John, the, the one who is writing these very words, he runs away naked because a soldier tries to grab onto him and he sheds his clothes and he runs away. We see them all run away. We see Thomas, who is forever known as Doubting Thomas. I think he gets a bad rap for this one moment of weakness. And he said, you know, I will not actually believe Jesus has been risen from the grave until I am able to put my fingers in his side and feel the nail holes in his hands. But then what happens when Jesus appears? I hope it's the mo you've had a moment like this when you realize Jesus is very real, that he has indeed been resurrected and is now sitting at the right hand of God Almighty. Thomas looks at him, and he doesn't need to touch him for a moment. He gets down on his knees. He says, my Lord and my God. And the Gospel of John records, and then he worshipped him. Did you know Doubting Thomas is the first one to worship the risen Christ as Lord? Well, we never call Thomas the worshiper. We always call him the doubter. That's kind of the way the devil likes to work. He likes to remind us of our weak, weakest moments, of how we failed God. I fail God. I fail God this week. I fail him just about every day. But God says, that's not who you are. You are my son. I have called you out of this world. You are no longer like this world. And he says to you, you are my son and daughter. All we have to do is put our faith into him. And he, he doesn't require much. He requires obedience. He requires us to follow after him. I, I will never be one that um, will do an altar call that will say, just say these words and you will be saved. It has to come from your heart. And I can't be the judge of that. You know, the, the scripture tells us we are to, to judge those by their fruits, but ultimately it is between you and God. Have, have you placed your faith in Jesus? Are you a son or daughter of the Most High God? Because if you're not, scripture also says who you're a child of. In John 8, Jesus said, You will not listen to me because you're a children of your father the devil. That's a hard word to hear, but that is the words of Jesus himself. There's no in-between with Jesus. There, there's no having your, your foot with the world and enjoying the worldly things and then having your, your foot with God and saying, I'm all for Jesus, I'm on team Jesus, I'm following after him. 
There's no in-between for Jesus. You're either all in or you're completely out. So I encourage you, if you do not know Jesus this day, in just a moment we're going to play one more song and worship Him through that song, but come down and pray to Him that you may receive Him. And maybe you find yourself that you're like that person I just described that's living half in the world and, and half with Jesus. Come down and confess your sins to Jesus, not me. It is between you and God Almighty. But make yourself right with Him. And follow after him. What he tells the disciples, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, when he calls them out, he calls them to be fishers of men. He doesn't allow them to stay where they are, but ask them to follow him. And to those who aren't willing to let go of the past and follow him, he says, you can have no part of me. We were singing that song about my Old Testament, there would be times of inheritance, and oftentimes the biggest part of the inheritance was the portion of land. But what the songwriter there is saying, Jesus Christ himself is my portion. And he can be your portion too. God in Scripture, he doesn't promise any land. We are not the Old Testament Jewish people. We don't get promised the land, but what we get promised is our Lord Jesus Christ. We get to be part of the bride. He is our portion. He he is our husband-to-be. A day is coming where he'll come and take us home, those of us that genuinely belong to him. But we have to examine our hearts. Is, Is that who we are? I pray that's who we are. I pray that's who you are. Because the Word has come down to us. This living Word that we call the Bible. It is Jesus Christ. It is Him speaking to us. So if you need to hear from God, open your Bibles. Pray to them. His Spirit will speak. Let us pray. Abba Father, Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for this day. give you thanks for the blessings that you give us in our life, Lord. I pray us here who do not know you, may we come down and confess our sins to you, Lord God. May we, may we receive you as Lord and Savior. I pray if there's any of us who, who have unconfessed sin, Lord, let us confess that sin now so that we may follow you rightly, Lord. We, we often have had times like Thomas where we were doubting. We, we were not living as, as faithful Christians, Lord, but we were living with anxiety and doubt of who you are. But remind us this day who you are, Lord, so that we may see and get down on our knees as our brother Thomas did and worship you in boldness and truth. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen.